Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, but Oscar is currently visiting the Bay of Naples in Italy on a school trip, uh, which is slightly better than the school trips I used to go on as a child, um, but he obviously won't be joining us tonight. Instead, I have the pleasure of welcoming to the Hub Systems a couple of Firestorm veterans, Josh and Matt. Hello. Hey so in this episode, we're going to be talking about the possibility, uh, the little hint on the horizon of version 2.5, version 3, we're not quite sure what it'll be, of Firestorm Armada. Uh, this was mentioned by Spartan Neil on the community forums. So we're going to be having a little bit of uh, speculation about what that might herald for the game. Before we get into that, however, we'll go through what people have been up to over the past week or so. So, uh, Matt, what have you been up to? So, I've been painting some of my RSN. I'm working on some cruisers and some destroyers and trying to get those up to par, matching my older paint scheme. So, it's going back through what did I paint. I really wish I did a painting journal, as goofy as it sounds. You're trying to remember which colors I mixed, which pots of paint did I use. Is that an old line that no longer exists? And then I've also been doing uh, test games for Depticon, getting a lot of practice in with my Works Raptors uh, against Aquans and, and getting various results and finding how challenging it is to take on Aqua Dreadnoughts and Battle Carriers in a single list. It gets very entertaining. Ooh, ooh, yeah, definitely. it's a little rough. Uh, the Works Raptors have an uphill battle with not having a lot of big tier ones, so you have to get a little, little creative and then find out how brutal those ships can actually be against you. So it's been fun, um, getting excited. So it'll be my first traveling tournament I've ever gone to, mostly because of work and my wife. So I'm getting excited about that, and I've been looking online at the KR cases and trying to figure out which one's going to work best for carry-on. <laughs> Oscar actually won't let me play Works Raptor against his Aquans anymore. Uh, after the first time I took them out, I had a squad of interdictors just parked in a corner, and their opening salvo double-critted one of his cruisers which then exploded and damaged his other cruises. <laughs> Those so, are the uh, best ones, where you get the double crit, then you get a chain reaction of damage. It gets yeah. so awesome. <laughs> okay, uh, and Josh, how about you? Uh, well, I have also been painting quite a bit, although not my stuff, actually. I'm working on some directorate uh, infantry upgrades, ground attack helix, recon helix for one of the guys here. Uh, in town, who is planning on playing in the Schomburg Beachhead at Adepticon, the Planetfall Tournament. Um, then I've got a whole horde of spaceships I am painting for a friend of ours, which includes Aquans. Also been really, really working on a lot of Adepticon stuff. <laughs> I'm actually, as we speak, trying to put the finishing touches on the primer missions for the Planetfall Tournament. Excellent. And uh, working with... Uh, uh, the guys over at Spartan getting stuff kind of hammered out from what's happening on their end. So it's looking like it's going to be a really fun year. I'm really looking forward to the tournament. It's going to be 32-man GT. Uh, I think we still have some people on the wait list, too. So. Oh, we got a wait list? That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she kind of exploded, so we're probably going to have to up it to 40 Excellent. Uh, next year. So. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I just started planning for Origins as well so got a lot on my plate right now in terms of like planning events in north america or at least the united states i should say <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we have no canadians on the show today so. <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, for my part obviously i moved a couple of weeks ago 
So uh, the usual absence of broadband, trying to get uh, boxes unpacked, all that kind of stuff has made a pretty small amount of time for hobby. However, we do have now an attic gaming room, which is a good size. It's about five metres by about two and a half metres. So we've got room for at least a couple of tables and probably a little working area as well. So plus all the storage of the boxes and stuff that we haven't unpacked yet. So I've been sort of getting that into shape and planning how to insulate it a bit better than it is at the moment because it's freezing. Um, <laughs> but that's about it. I've, I've unpacked things. I've looked at ships. <laughs> we did play a game of Strange Aeons, uh, Oscar and I. We haven't played for a very long time. But we thought, ease ourselves into gaming again quite gently. Uh, so we had a quick game there, and I actually did quite well. I won my won my mission, which is fairly unusual in Strange Aeons. And I also annihilated Oscar. So all, all good. Mission achieved. <laughs> uh, but that's it from me. That's it from me. So the next part of our regular roundup is, of course, hit or miss. Now we've got the usual few Games Workshop releases. The main one this week is 40k, but we do have a little bit of Age of Sigma first. Now, if you go to the Games Workshop homepage, you will find apparently 53 new releases for Age of Sigma. However, (laughs) a lot of these we've covered before. So all of the hideous dwarves and their magma droths are all there. We covered those uh, last time. Plus Nagash, and then we come on to some other stuff. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about on this is, I'm not sure who Games Workshop think they are kidding, but, for instance, on page three of these new releases, we have the Demon Prince. Now, unless I'm very much mistaken, I bought this mini about, well, let's see, I was working for a company three companies ago <laughs> so it's quite a while i think this is about five years ago maybe even six years ago uh, that i bought this as a new mini so i don't believe this is a new release this looks very very much to me like the demon prince that and it's a nice model uh, i must say it's a pretty good i mean they haven't chosen the best combination i don't believe for the picture but it is a pretty pretty good kit but i don't think it's new so I don't know whether they've added anything to this. I don't know if you guys uh, play Chaos or have seen this mini before. Yeah, I'd say that's. Like, I know they've been reboxing a lot of the. Uh, that's what it is. A lot uh, of the kits, the old plastic kits, because that's a standard Demon Prince kit. Yeah, yeah they're reboxing, and and what they've done is they've clipped them off their old square bases and put them on new round bases. So if you go through these, these are a lot of reboxes of oh. all the old models. Very few of these I've actually seen as new or be surprised of seeing. And well, I would still be shocked if the, these weren't the multi-kits just rebranded and they're just not doing their classic GW of giving you individual entries. I, per. Realistically, the only thing they'd have to do for the base on that, because all the chaos stuff was usable for Fantasy or 40K. Right, yeah. So they literally probably just took out the square base. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because you also have the Chaos Spawn. That is definitely the old Chaos Spawn kit. Oh yeah, that's that's what mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also have the Blood Letters, mm-hmm. the Bellicor model, which is really old. And but I mean, the one thing that I would say is looking at these. I mean, if you look at these Blood Letters, these are nice minis, right? They're nicely mm-hmm. proportioned. They've got uh, good detail. 
Uh, I mean, they're slightly ridiculous because they've always been slightly ridiculous, the corn blood letters, but by and large, they're pretty good. Now, compare and contrast <laughs> with, on page one, the glory that is, for instance, the Forge Brethren and these stumpy ginger guys. I mean, <laughs> oh Jesus. my god. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of, you know. Putting the older stuff with the new stuff is quite embarrassing to me because it's like they've gone backwards. It, this is where they've hired an art designer that goes, I love my 80s van art. And this is the GW <laughs> thing that started to show back up again with Harlequins coming out. I like, I, I was very annoyed. I nerd raged when I saw the Harlequins come out and I was like, could we have updated this to look anything that, that might have been cool or interesting and not just rehashed my 80s van art? Uh, just, I, I'll be playing Rush on my cassettes. I got my my you know my ponytail going. This is just I haven't showered in a while, and I have that dirty creeper van with the blacked out windows. Well, yeah, with the with the mural of the uh, the wizard that is that is uh, refereeing the cage fight between two majestic centaurs with a with a unicorn jumping over a rainbow. Well, I mean, I got the Harlequin in there too, and now I have my Forge Brethren on the, my hood. You know, letting me rush forward and drive down my traffic so i mean this is this is classic fan art there has to be a, a naked woman with uh big 80s hair as well somewhere in there, oh sure, yeah. Oh, fan art, yeah obviously and uh beavis and butthead on your mtv etc etc <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am that old <laughs> i'd say the the axe on that one dwarf is ridiculous like that it goes beyond yeah. a two-handed axe that's like a four dwarf axe but <laughs> I mean, yeah, we did butcher these last week, but at least it's not the this, the Grimrath Berserker with his. I'm not even sure what that is as a weapon. <laughs> it looks like he's taken some sort of ornament off his wall. <laughs> well, that's he, like he couldn't a find anything handy. Thing, I can't tell what it is. That yeah. that guy looks like he's from the album cover of uh, an old bolt thrower <laughs> album. <laughs> For those that don't know, back in the 80s, there was a metal band that was completely based on GW games, and it was called Bolt Thrower, and it is glorious. <laughs> Perhaps that's what's actually happened then. Perhaps we just have some mid-40s guy who has now finally been promoted to head of you know model design uh, for Age of Sigmar, and he's like, finally, finally, I can get all the designs that I like. <laughs> Back in the days when minis were minis and uh, girls had big hair and Van Art was Van Art and that's what they're doing. But yeah, it, anyway. his time is in the sun. He is he is glorious and majestic in all his might. <laughs> the, the other thing I just want to uh, highlight here is the Warhammer Age of Sigmar scenery set, which looks to be a standard realm of battle board, just painted like lava, and then some of the existing scenery sets that they they've got in the past the one thing i want to say about this is it's 400 pounds oh now geez that, that's 600 dollars us 800 dollars canadian who are they kidding <laughs> who's gonna drop that kind of money just on it's like i need a gaming board what should i do well, I have seen them go into a Games Workshop store and, and end up buying some of these boards, and they like trick them into keep buying and buying and buying it. It's like you're the car salesman and working them up on the stuff. But even looking at the set here, 
unless there's a mechanic involved with doors, because there's archways and doors is pretty much your whole set minus the ball piece in there, some sort of sphere. Is there importance with Age of Sigmar and doors? Because we have all these archways and doors. That's what your terrain pieces are. I let me let me look through the rule book real quick because it's only four pages. All right, we'll come back to you in about uh, two minutes. <laughs> uh, let me guess. Uh, I'm going to preempt that and say no. There's nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's not even a lot of scenery. I mean, you've got, what, two, four, six, seven pieces. It looks pretty bare. It looks pretty odd, actually, I think, as a as a game board. Like there's I not built... much cohesive look either to it. They're all over the no. place. I built, you know, for what that costs, I actually I built three 8 by 4 wood game tables for around 500 bucks with scenery and everything. Yeah. I mean, I built a modular... So two by two in the same way that this board is, but about two inch deep set of gaming squares that I could then put together, uh, which allows you to have, you know, big recesses, trenches, Mm -hmm. build barriers and whatever. And I think the materials for that cost me in the order of about, I think it was 25 pounds. So about 30, <laughs> $35, $40. And it took me a weekend of, you know, not very hard manual labor with uh, a drill and a saw. And um, and it was a lot of fun, actually. You know, and I learned some stuff. And I increased my workmanship in uh, in wood turning uh, from from Excellent. level 0.1 to 0.15. <laughs> so nothing that required any great skill or anything. And yet they're asking for, I just can't see it, you know. This is my thought behind this. This has to be that there's about 12 of these made, and and then they make them on demand. So they can charge a high, high price, have a low stock, and sell them for when the X number of thousand customers might look through this, and then one out of 10,000, if they have that much on an average basis coming through their website, goes ahead and purchases one, and they're like, oh, one of our 12 is sold. <laughs> and we can now slowly, at the end of next quarter, build another one. Yeah, and this so they is, can keep. It's like the smog model they came out with Forge World or whatever it was that giant <laughs> dragon that was just ridiculous, the one that no one's ever seen. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, only the Forge World yep, this, people this, that have actually seen the prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, I said this is the same realm of Battleboard that you know you've been able to buy for you know what six seven years. Yeah. If you know more. But this is lava, man. What are you talking about? That's completely new. Hey. Don't forget all the skulls in it. There is skull lava. Yeah. Skull oh, lava. we couldn't do without the skulls. skulls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, let, let's move away from skulls. Okay, well, Age of Sigma, I'm I'm going to put a big miss on everything, or 53 releases, <laughs> uh, for various different reasons. I mean, the, the dwarves and stuff are just ridiculous, as we've already covered. Um, the old stuff masquerading as new. They're good kits, right? But they're not new. Um yeah. If it's not yeah. new, don't call it new. You know, putting a clock in an existing product is not making a new product, and Games Workshop seem to be the masters of that. So, sorry guys, but uh, miss from me. Yeah, I'd say that's a, a well. Truth be told, my humble opinion, Age of Sigmar has been basically a complete miss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. So then we move on to their premier game, Warhammer 40k. Now. I will go ahead and say one last thing for Age of Sigmar. Uh, I just shared a link with the guys. It looks like Tomb Kings are being squatted from the Age of Sigmar line. So uh, there's a limited time where all these models are being yanked. It looks like this Winked. And so uh, nothing like having your models that you might enjoy or like being removed from your game line, even though it's Age of Sigmar now and no longer Warhammer Oh, Fantasy. I see that last chance to buy. I didn't realize there was a... Uh... Yep. So... 
this is one of the things that that's very rough and i want to take a little tangent on this for just maybe two minutes so our hobbyist here is wargaming and miniatures and board games now this is very different as you already know because fishing doesn't go away until we fished all the fish out of the sea or the rivers lakes uh, your other hobbies might not, but we are dependent upon game companies to fulfill these, you know, these realms of entertainment. So you're putting a lot of money and time into them. So it, it's, it's, it hits a little bit hard when these things come in and go, yeah, we're no longer going to support what you've enjoyed and given your hard earned money for. So that's really interesting that they've decided to yank this entire line. Well, that would, of course, not mean that the company actually gave a crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I think that oh. might be a false premise here. Um, <laughs> it could, of course, mean that uh, Tim Kings are getting a complete new line. Well, on the page three, it has their their War Scroll compendium, but it's not a limited time, even though it's free. So, does that mean their rules are gone? <laughs> Maybe so. Okay. <laughs> well, if you're Tim Kings guys and uh, you want to buy these overpriced models for another game, then please feel free. However, there are quite a lot of other games out there now making similar and possibly equivalent or better quality uh, minis of the same kind of subjects now. So it's an interesting strategy, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, that's, no, thanks for that one. So no, 40K, the ever-living, huge, burgeoning game. We have 25 notes. No comments, please. Um, we have 25 new releases. Oh, and what do we see straight away? Demons of Corn. So some of these are exactly the same as in Age of Sigma, and not new. I noticed that the first one is Demons of Corn Blood Crushers. Uh, funnily enough, I have some of these as well, which look absolutely the same as these. <laughs> so again, <laughs> not a new, and I didn't pay $100 for it. How have I got to dollars now? Oh, why? How is this $100? When did this go up? Uh, because because it's new. Oh, wait. <laughs> Did they repack them? I think they repacked. Is it three models like... still? No, it looks like it's six actually. Yeah, they generally don't wow. show more than they've actually got. So yeah, there we go. So it is six. It does list as six. So they've doubled up the pack size. So they've repacked and made for sure because they weren't selling enough. You can now only buy them in six. Yeah, which is all the blood crushers you're ever going to want to run. <laughs> well, I bu I bought not. the old box of three, and again, they're nice models. Yeah, but um. I actually, I think I run them once. <laughs> I bought them because I like the way they look. <laughs> but hey. So, Space Wolves. Space Wolves are the flavour of the moment. We have Curse of the Wolfen. We've got Warzone Fenris. Curse of the Wolfen Saga Edition. Curse of the Wolfen by itself. Curse of the Wolfen with miniatures. You know, however many ways you can package a book, they've got it. Then we have a number of various Space Wolves releases. First of all, we have the Space Wolves pack. Now, this is £23. We have... Two, four, six, eight, ten minutes, which is remarkably good value for Games Workshop. Now, given that we have a number of other rather old releases, I've never played Space Wolf, so I don't know if these are new minis or not. I don't know if you guys have any insights. They actually they looks Yeah, they're not. That looks like just a repack of the Space Wolves pack. That they yeah, this had. is when it was re-released um, again for in fifth the fifth edition. Yeah, for fifth edition, this is their a lot of their stuff. I see what one new set minus rules in here. Is that what we're looking at? Okay, in which case, let's move on from the Space Wars pack. I'm guessing the Long Fangs then are also probably old minis. Yes. Yep. Which probably explains the slightly better yep. prices on them. 
Space Wolves, Wolf Guard. Yep. yep. Old minis. They're old too. Yep. But then we do have some new minis. And actually, you can probably tell that these are new minis by comparing them with the old ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, why would you say such a thing? What are the clues that might give this away? Uh, one, they're horrible. Two, they're ridiculous. <laughs> and three, they're massively over-fetished. Those are the three pointers. Oh my god, did you see the guys in the upper left? Look at the guy in the upper left. He has a cannon on his backpack. What the? Uh, yes, he does. So, first of all, we have, let's start from the top with the most obvious and centerpiece model, the Lord of the Dance. (laughs) (laughs) So, here you have sort of Michael Flatley-like Mini, who does appear to be incredibly unbalanced. It's like he's just been shot. Oh, wow. Actually, because the Mini is slightly teetering backwards. I thought that was actually leaning forwards until I've seen the 360 view. Wow, that's terrible. Nope, slightly backwards. So, it does look like, well, and who can blame them? He's just leapt up onto a rock to find out he's actually a rock plus a couple of skulls. And thus he's lost his balance, (laughs) thus flinging his arms out thinking, Oh my god, I'm falling backwards! (laughs) Which is kind of the face he's got. (laughs) I mean, what can we say about this mini? He's definitely the karate kid of, of these guys. He's ready to do the crane kick to help knock out Cobra Kai. (laughs) And at some point in his life, as the Wolfen's curse has taken over his legs, he obviously decided to have his previous human legs transplanted onto his shoulders rather than his standard arms because he has the most ridiculous biceps and muscles on his arms ever. Oh yeah, he does. Well, he has these tubes here. It must be pumping in direct steroids because there's these extra tubes under his armpits. I don't really understand <laughs> what their purpose is. Are they attaching so his arms don't fall off? Well, it's... it's this is... Because... Everybody is, uh, these are like bro wolves. They're like 80s metal van bro wolves. Because they all have, they're not wearing armor. I, that was the first thing I noticed. They're not wearing armor. It's like you see the black carapace, and then their backpack oh, yeah. is just directly attached to them, serving no purpose whatsoever. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm like, I need a power pack for my non armor and to power these guns. Skadoosh! <laughs> Ah, so where does all the power go from the backpack? It goes into his arms! (laughs) Obviously! (laughs) I think, you know, those aren't tubes. I think those are actually solid, and they're holding his arms up. I don't think he can put his arms down. (laughs) I think the poor guy screams because he's had his arms up like that for 58 years or something. He was doing too many bench presses. He's too swole, swole, so he needs some uh, some truss support on those lightning claws. (laughs) I mean, it's just... I not believe you lift enough. I, I'm, I'm sure there'll be people who will buy this and think it's cool, but I, I wouldn't go drinking with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on then, we have Captain Axe, who, again, Games Workshop has done very well, again, by getting most of these guys running on a small rock, which also has a skull on it, thus getting the mandatory at least one skull on the base counter. I mean, the legs... Just because I think, as an aside, all of these minis have wolf legs. None of them have space marine or human type legs. Yeah, they're all they're all like full, full like the howling going on here. I mean, again, the backpack looks so out of place. It's really just stuck on that little bit of the back there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, which is funny because it's like the the backpack just because you know I was a 40k hobbyist for so many years and I'm a fluff nerd when it comes to any game I play and it's the the backpack affixes straight to the armor but apparently they have it just kind of you know strapped right to the black carapace which is kind of like uh I don't think that's supposed to work like that and I think there's a clue here as to why these models look like this. I mean, this guy has ginger hair, which is braided in exactly the same manner as a certain set of Age of Sigmar dwarfs. So, oh. ah, there's the clue. The same little ponytail. Oh, mercy me. Then we have another guy with a single-bladed axe. And I don't know what sort of look he's got on his face. Uh, he's got a ridiculous sort of cannon on his backpack. Unfortunately, there's no 360 on this guy, as I'd really like to see this from a different angle. It's kind of like a, an old-fashioned camera. I mean, it it looks pretty horrible. And apparently his backpack is being used for storage, because his ammo feed goes straight into the top there. He's only got, what, one, two, three, four, four rounds, plus probably one in the chamber. So that's what the backpack is there for, Josh. It's not actually powering the armor, which he's not wearing. It's full of ammo. <laughs> oh, and then you have Mr. I Want to Be Wolverine. <laughs> I mean, these are just not good minis, I think. Oh, and again, he's got the old camera-type cannon <laughs> on his on his backpack. Well, it's a GoPro, man. This is 40K GoPro. <laughs> he's extreme. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? Ah. <sighs> God, that, that'd make it so exciting. Coming from the tabletop, you've got the new... These are laser pointers actually involved for true line of sight. That's what it is. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's pointing at about, what, four feet in front of him in scale. You know, it, it's it's just not good. And then you've got a couple of guys... Uh, well, actually, these are... I think that's the same pose, isn't it? Just with, with an axe. Sorry, with a hammer rather than an axe and a shield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of these obviously have alternative weapon options. I mean, every single one of them, I think, without fail, is on a small rock with a skull, with a skull next to it. Oh my god, <laughs> they are. <laughs> so I'm a little shocked though. The price on here is, is 60 US, and this is not a multi kit. Is it because we have? 80s hairband or extra weapons. I, I'm kind of confused. Normally it's the multi-kit they decide to add a multiplier on for the cost. Because they're so awesome. They're awesome. It's the awesome factor. It's the 80s awesome factor. And I guarantee you, like, you'll need two boxes to make a full unit. <laughs> well, uh, they actually do sell, bear with me, what's it called? The Wolfen Murder Pack. Well, which is murder 10 pack. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Ten minutes for the discounted price of twice of what you would pay for the single one. But it's not even like the wolf and hunting pack. It's not, you know, it, it, but a murder pack. How, does that even theme? No. <laughs> no, but that would require some consistency. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Games Workshop don't do that. You know, Games Workshop just say, screw you. We've given you awesome minis. What more do you need? Uh... <laughs> now give us your money. Give your money, shut up. But we're only buying it because of the game. We're not a game company. <laughs> Wait, but you're not a model company either. You barely release models. 
or re-release models mean? that are 13, 14, 20 years old now. <laughs> Look at all these awesome new releases they have. They've got sky claws. <laughs> There's 25 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's really disappointing, I would say. I think for a lot of people. I've seen quite a lot of chatter on Facebook and uh, various different places. I know JD Gamercast also ripped the piss out of these <laughs> things because it's bad. I don't know what Games Workshop have done. I know JD Gamercast, Lang and Nathan did. You know what could Games Workshop do to restore the faith and you know pull back some of those gamers who have left the fold? It's not this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not this. No. Now, I will say, when I was playing and looking for an alternate army, and this would have been towards, maybe it was like just the beginning of 4th or something, and I was considering between Chaos Space Marines, uh, 13th Company, so that would have been the Wolfen, and I think it was like Feral Orcs, and I had someone come up to me, he goes, well, you just be a jerk for playing either one of the latter two. And I had no idea. I was like, oh, these are kind of cool, and adding some extra bits together. And they go, oh, yeah, but by the way, they're not supported anymore. So if you're interested in them, yeah, they're on the website, but there's no rules that are legal for them. So you mean to tell me you're selling me something that I can't even use except for sitting on the shelf? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, you know, you're, every GW hobbyist is just a collector. You know, that's that's all they do is they just <laughs> sit there and buy minis and don't do Put anything them on the with shelf. them. I mean, that's like my Tomb yeah. Kings. They sit on the shelf now and they, they look pretty... <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've just pulled up a picture here of the, the metal uh, Wolfen um, that came out in, well, I don't know, God knows when they came out, probably sometime in the late 90s. And these are just such... I, I actually painted some of these as a commission for a guy in the US a number of years ago, and these are such better minis Absolutely. than the ones they're showing. Oh, they have yeah. boots, they have those. mostly armor, so they've lost... These are guys, like, the tough guys that have said... F this, I'm pulling off my sleeves, you need to see my guns, and I don't wear helmets. I mean, that's the only, like, sin they have involved on the stuff. But they can't wear their gloves because they got big old claws. So it tears out, they just got tired of it. But everything else, their armor works, they just don't like, you know, having the sleeves. Only thing that would have made it better if they had tattoos. Well, you could just, that's, you just paint the tattoos on them. And then they can be, like, rocking out to, like, Quiet Riot and, like, <laughs> sister and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, £35 for five minis is a lot. And for these minis, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, if somebody came up to me in the street and asked me, you know, would you spend, what would you spend on these minis? I mean, my short answer would be, I wouldn't. <laughs> but if they said, well, it's £35, I'd just laugh at them. <laughs> it's just really astonishing. Yeah, what more can we say? So, miss. Uh, hit or miss, guys. <laughs> Three solid hits, yeah. Uh, right? I'm getting yeah, back into 4K now. Uh, <laughs> no surprises. It, it's a miss from me. That's a big molester van miss for me as well. <laughs> and I love my furries, so I am totally in on this one. I am <laughs> tax return. This is, this is golden. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's been a fairly quiet week, actually, elsewhere. We've not really seen um, many announcements of releases uh, elsewhere. Uh, so it's time to head on to our main topic. 
And the main topic this week is on the Spartan Games community, uh, Spartan Neil actually mentioned that we will be getting Firestorm Armada version 2.5 stroke version 3. Uh, I think it was not really specific which it will be. And that really sparked a, a whole thread of um, conjecture and speculation, which we thought we would add to. <laughs> um, so, guys, what do you think? Uh, version 3 of Firestorm, it's been out a couple of years now. Is it, uh, is it time? That's what you hear a lot. You hear a lot of people say, well, I've just got used to these rules. But if we're going to anything like everything else, it looks like the rules probably will be free relatively fast. Because it seems if we keep with suit, right? Didn't Planetfall come out with free rules pretty fast? Or if it was oh, yeah. 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 So, I, go ahead. I, say, I, I don't think it's really time yet. Do I think we need some tweaks uh, you know that would necessitate like maybe like a point at two point five. Uh, yeah, I you know there's some Mars that I think should be changed slightly or you know updated. There's some stuff that needs some clarification. You know, it's mostly just tweaks. You know, I'm I've always been a if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of kind of guy. So and that and speaking from a tournament organizer's perspective. When you have rapid change of um, rule sets, that can actually affect things quite a bit. Um, so talking about tournament stuff, coming from someone who doesn't do a lot of tournaments in my local area, um, that's been really interesting doing the prep, is keeping under the time limit and making sure that I can be fast as I can. So it, for any of the newer stuff, the time's always an issue, because we'll sit down, you might have a couple snacks, enjoy something, go out for dinner, come back, finish it. Your game can take a while, depending upon the size yeah. of the game you're playing. And yeah. there's all sorts of stuff between tokens. Well, where are my tokens? They're in a little Ziploc bag. They're all over the table. I'm sorting through them. Hey, man, have you seen that hazard marker? I need the hazard marker. Wait, I, I need the, you know, what is it? Dry's failure. Looking for that one. Do you have it over there? Or I'll just use this. I need another mine token. Oh, my guys. So there's a lot of little things that, if they can get cleaned up, might speed up the game. And then you would yeah. have... Less people going on the concern of, well, the games take too long. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest thing that people are looking for. And I'm not a huge, like, I'm not a forum rat, as I call it. Um, So I'm not on the forum a whole ton. Um, But it's, I think that's a majority, you know, what I hear the most of from people. It's like we, you know, we want to play faster. We want to get it a little bit faster. Uh you know, we don't necessarily want the game simplified so much that, you know, it's like uh, a completely different, you know, simplified animal. You know, we want the same amount of complexity, but we want it to go quicker. Um, so, uh, and, you know, it's it's odd for me because I've actually, the guys here, like, if we're really on task, we can finish like a 1,200-point game in like an hour. Wow, <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. That, well, is, that is amazing. The the killing power of of Shoal Commander Larry is <laughs> is quite devastating. When he well, that's that's there. another facet. You're also talking about scaling the game to the point where you're adding per models of killing efficiency. So it does change on the size of your game on how fast you might be able to do certain things. Yeah, that that yeah, that's always a factor is game size. It's. I think it's just because we come from, like, our group here comes from more of a competitive play kind of side. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we know our rules really well. 
you know, we we do a lot of things that are um, you see a lot in tournament play. People that do a lot of tournaments, you know, fast play stuff that you just kind of adopt. And it's kind of like an unspoken thing with people. Um, I know when uh, Mike Litsky, aka uh, Ryjack on the forums, came for the Michigan GT, he was actually. Uh, I know he looked, at least he looked a little overwhelmed when he was playing Larry, actually, just with the speed at which Larry was doing things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is that is definitely where someone's just moving so quick and you go, wow, okay, because yeah. you ever play an event and you're not used to the guy who gets all the games in all the time. And sometimes we don't have the time, whether you have family, you know, time, work, whatever it is, you might not have the luxury of being able to do that or community around you because yeah. I would say Spartan in North America, we are kind of spread out, and some areas are more abundant than others, where I'm in the land of fairly warm weather, where I think it's like 23 degrees Celsius or 70-something degrees. So it's nice and comfortable here, where, Josh, you kind of like chilly up there a little bit? Uh, Yeah, it's like in the teens right now. So, so people want to go inside. Yeah, and that's the thing is I we're at the uh, I'm at the other end of the spectrum where like in this area we have a lot of fire like the local firestorm community and war gaming community in general is very large and you know you can go in and get pickup games you know on nights. Um, now you're because you know, seeing regular other games going on. What about the thoughts of like games like War Machine, which is built towards a competitive facet? One of the things I thought was kind of interesting with War Machine, and we had cards back in the day for Firestorm. What if we had, like, some of the counters or tick stuff on, like, a printer-friendly version where you're just taking a marker and marking it down on your cards versus trying to dig out tokens or even possibly the dice mechanic on a base where you have the slots for dice on bases? I would say with having, like, I play War Machine, and I know... uh, it's you get it war machines balanced because everything's overpowered and you have like this dragon ball z like escalation of power on things oh, it's a CCG sort of kind of blended uh, in yeah a little bit a little bit i mean you get new casters and stuff like that that change the meta and whatnot there's much more of a meta like releases affect the meta a lot more and one of the reasons why i really have liked firestorm so much is because even when new stuff comes out Yes, the meta can change based on the new releases, but it's not like completely like, oh, this whole army that I have is now completely basically invalid in the new meta. Right. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that I really disliked about 40k. You know, and I think it's you know gamer jading is pretty high when you've got that kind of. I, 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 the thing I always say is the Necrons. When the Necrons. Uh, Codex came out and suddenly they retconned it that actually the Necrons could speak and um, you know the Catan were actually overthrown and it's like completely different fluff and suddenly all the pariahs which were expensive metal units that you know people collect over years those are nice models yeah they didn't exist anymore and it's just like oh great thanks <laughs> oh is it also a completely different play style yeah you went from shambling horde to Eldar vehicle esque weird sort of stuff going on, zooming around the tabletop, and I was like, oh, oh, well, I'm glad I enjoyed the old play style. Yeah, I mean, that's it's one of the things actually that uh, I haven't played, or one of the reasons that I haven't played Planetfall much recently is because 
A, I was getting through printer cartridges through like no one's business printing <laughs> new orbats each time. But, you know, some of the changes were quite, let's say, meta-affecting. You know, the things that I did before I could no longer do. So it's like, well, hang on a minute. I'm going to wait until this stabilizes a bit, a bit more so that when I've got an army and I've got that playstyle, I don't then have to revisit it just because, like you said, a new unit comes out. Yeah. And I think Firestorm's been pretty good about that. You know, the Aquan's got some new stuff. It fitted in with what they already did and allowed them to do some some new tricks on it, but it wasn't a case of they had to be taken. You know, the 40k thing is, here's a new unit, and everybody's like, well, we have to have it because it's so OP, so everybody buys the new stuff. Yeah. And I wouldn't like to see that kind of thing. But I think some of the, the other stuff... So some of the, the gaming accessories for players, that side of things I think could be... I would love to see cards again uh, for the game. I think not just for, you know, as old hacks who kind of know a lot of the stats and that, but I think for getting people into the game, especially if now Task Force is this new sort of taster right. for Firestorm as a, as a wider game. But it's like, right, now here's a murder, it's more complex, but you get stat cards so that you can you know have an easy reference... You know, just things that help people get into the game, ease those new players. All those players, like you said, Matt, that, you know, I don't get a lot of time to play because I've got a family, so I might only play once a month. You know, we're, my nearest player is like 40 miles away or whatever, so we don't get it together very often. So actually, I might be rusty on the rules. So one of the things that Elsker and I noticed, coming back to Strange Aeons, which is a pretty simple game, right? S- simple mechanics. It's a lot of fun. I'd recommend it to anybody. But coming back to it after not playing for probably three, four months, was quite difficult because the rule book is pretty badly laid out. Mm. <laughs> and I think simple things like, you know, having a good layout, a good quick reference sheet, you know, something you can just pick up, you know, the X-Wing does very well, I think. You know, you can get back into the game really easy. Okay, you just hit on a major thing there because that would be one thing that I think if you had to ask anyone from the old, old days of Firestorm, that we have had an improvement with 2.0, if 2.5 or 3.0 can have a much more improved appendix and index would be amazing where we could really find good references throughout the rule book. I think that would be one thing that on, I don't know what this rule is. How do I find this? Yeah. Quick reference. I mean, that's a lot of things. And actually as a good example of quick reference, uh, like you were saying, coming back to strange aeons, uh, um, you know, I've come back to, uh, playing like Malifaux. Malifaux actually has a really well laid out, sh- you know, semi short rule book, and it's a relatively simple system. But I'm able to yeah. find everything really quickly in the rule book, um, and it's something I can come back to really easily. Um, in terms of like index, if you want to see an example of a good index for referencing stuff, you look at the Infinity N3 rule book. That thing is so well laid out; it's kind of ridiculous. You know, compared to other games, I know some of the Infinity players complain that, oh, I can't find stuff in it, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But I'm like, okay, have you played 40K? Have you played, you know, X game where you're trying to find something? And it's just like, no, this is like, this is the most clear, concise thing. And then when you combine in the the constantly updated wiki, uh, which is, I think, a part Corvus Belly, part mostly fan project, Mm. um, you know, it helps kind of sort out uh, seemingly complex interactions between stuff. Yeah, because Infinity is not a simple game. Either, oh, no, there's a lot of complexity all. and nuance in there. Yeah. So I guess it kind of has to. Yeah, and have it's that kind of. And when I got, I like, I got an Infinity League started up at the, my now former employer. Um, 
and guys that were traditionally 40k players um and you know i was kind of worried about some of them trying to pick up a more complex game and boom they snapped it up as soon as they knew the basics and saw the interactions and saw the book boom they picked it up like real quick and it was it was kind of amazing honestly <laughs> and as soon as like they picked up infinity i'm like okay well you guys can handle you know a much more complex game in terms of like rule interactions and stuff and i'm like you know well here let's 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 play for some firestorm because <laughs> oh, like yeah if they can do that they can do firestorm oh yeah totally you know it was like kind of the a litmus test or if they weren't quite with infinity i'm like well, you know, how do you feel about spaceships? Let's let's go play some Firestorm. <laughs> I think next edition would also be really interesting to see if we can have a little more of a living rulebook. If some if they have someone Spartan that can go through and go, well, this might need some clarity, and we might every maybe once or twice a year come out with a just quick update where they've cleaned up something or a location or add a new reference link in there that they found the community might need a little bit easier. Just slight updates versus we might have a long breadth of time before something's done. It doesn't need to be the rolling uh, rule updates that we've seen in Planetfall, but I'm thinking more of like clarity or just ease of use kind of stuff. I don't know. Just living systems I always find nicer now that we're in the digital age. Most of us, especially, hey, guess what? If you're listening to this, you're probably in the digital age. So you'd be able to go ahead and be involved in such things as that. Yeah, I mean, I know people that have, you know, had prior books and spiral bound them so that, you know, any changes that they can just print out and then, you know, replace the the given sheet. Oh, excellent. I doubt we would see that, to be honest, because I know games companies like producing, you know, nice glossy books that people can, you know, buy and and pour over. Uh, But I think you're right. I think, you know, just understanding, you know, what do gamers actually do? when they play a game, you know. And I, I think mentioning 40K, it's quite apparent that, you know, they are a model company in that respect because some of the way that their books have been laid out, yeah, they've got... There's obviously nobody who's had any experience with copyright or uh, editing or anything else uh, in that nature or actually tried to play some of these games sometimes. Uh, when you try to look at that one rule, you think, where the hell is rending in this book? <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> It, it was a it was a memory that stayed with me, obviously. <laughs> okay, so what are the areas then that that you guys would like to see uh, modified? Where do you think the game is? Well, where do you think the game is strongest and doesn't need changing? And where do you think the game could do with you know some modification or certain aspects that could be um, either made simpler or you know actually it maybe even made more complex, but just you know made more rich, I guess. I I know I mostly it's it's like slight overhauls and tweaks uh like i would really like to see uh like srs tokens done differently and i think that's mostly because of like our meta has evolved to the point where it's uh srs tokens like bombers and interceptors like get out of hand sometimes (laughs) and it makes it makes it really tough to kind of engage vessels when you have uh, you know, uh, like a, a, a screen of small craft basically making your torpedoes completely useless or, or whatnot. Yeah. So, and I think we've mentioned that before in, in SRS about the sort of preponderance of people to take either yeah. interceptors or bombers, yeah. uh, you know, and very little of anything else. So I, I tend to agree. And yeah. it, it, I know I was like, I, I've seen guys do, uh, uh, like movement templates and stuff and, 
you know, there's been a lot of guys on the forum uh, talking about modifying movement. I personally like movement the way it is, but I could see some streamlining. And as an example, like X-Wing with their like their movement templates and whatnot, that helps simplify the movement and it makes it go quicker. Um, it also prevents uh, like the uh, before uh, uh, I guess it was fact or whatnot, the, the snaking maneuver that was prevalent last year at Adepticon to try to eke out an extra extra What's inch. What's the snaking maneuver? I don't think I know this one. Yeah, you well, you, it's 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 not legal anymore, Matt. So just oh, okay, never mind. I'll, I will stop asking questions. <laughs> yeah, basically because of the way this Spartan turning template works, because you align it with the side of a base, mm-hmm. if you turn left forty five degrees, and then you flip the um, the turning template over to the right side, you're then gaining movement because you're not measuring then the turn from the same point. Oh. You're measuring from the opposite side of the base. So you actually gain a little bit. So yeah. if you move 14 inches forward with a frigate, you move 14 inches forward. If you move 14 inches going left and right, you actually end up moving like 15 and a half inches forward or something. Huh. So you gain quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it was made illegal in dystopian wars because they had the same, obviously it's the same turning me- mechanism. Yeah. And yeah, it was recently also uh, just posted that yeah, it's illegal in Firestorm as well. Yeah, which was a good because we actually there were, when especially in a tournament environment, when you know range, you know if you're out of place, you know all of a sudden your weapons aren't in in the sweet spot, you know for range bands, you know that's a big deal, you know. Yeah. For gameplay from you know it's not so much like oh i can gain another you know 15 inch you know just playing with your your friends and stuff but in a you know competitive environment stuff like that's like you know it can be game changing and you know yeah as we all know we're all we're most well at least american war gamers we even if we're playing friendly we get a little competitive and a little worked up so <laughs> I, I think i'm pretty balanced but i i am still competitive when i get to the table because when i i'm stepping back and looking at stuff because i am an educator I, I work on a bunch of other things i've been doing game design for a while through education as well as working with some other companies it, it's easy to do it when you're stepping back but as soon as you get that game table you still get that little bit of that hunger in your eyes that you want to get a yep. little thirsty and, and go yep. for the throat there but yep. it's it's interesting uh, you got anything else, Josh? I I mean, besides, like, uh, you know, it, basically speeding things up in terms of, like, movement and possibly, uh, you know, modifying the way SRS tokens work, um, I'm, you know, that's, other than that, like, I'm, I'm real happy with the game in its current state. There are some, obviously, some Mars that need some tweaking, um, and... I know I th- actually talked about that, I think, on Firebase Delta quite a bit. <laughs> so I want to add to what you're saying there and get some feedback as well as continue on from there. So, how one, first off, how much faster should the game be at this point? Is there, like, to me, it's about 30%. Would you cut off, like, a third of the time and make it, we get about 30% more of the game? And the reason I'm saying 30%, how much bigger games could I actually play with the same amount of time I'm already dedicating to it? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think a good game would be, like, like, we do two-and-a-half-hour rounds for our tournament rounds right now, and a lot of people have asked, like, well, why can't we make it three? Why can't I'm like, I'm like, well, we could, but do you really want to be play a four-round tournament and have, like, without including the breaks in between each round, have a 12-hour, <laughs> right, right. four-round tournament? 
Um, but if the games went faster, could you? But have if the games points? went faster, you know, you could do bigger point levels and stuff like that. Um, like we've already played quick, but I know a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, you know, you can have a game take three hours and it'll only be eight hundred points. You know, and I think speeding it up to the point where you can get a decent game in in just a couple hours, even at a higher point value, you know, that's that'd be, you know, probably the most ideal. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see the the length of the game particularly change too much. I think that two hour kind of yeah. it, it's that forty k sort of game length. Yeah, uh, I think which you know. A lot of games are 40k. You know, I think the, the median is probably a couple of hours. Yeah. You, know, you can get a decent game in there. So I know there's kind of a bit of a move um, in the industry for that kind of light bite game. You know, the the 30 to 60 minute slot, let's call it, yeah. the lunch hour, mm-hmm. lunch hour game. I don't think Firestorm should be that game. I enjoy the granularity. I enjoy the nuance. Yes, there is abstraction. Um but there's abstraction and granularity uh, within it. So I wouldn't want to see that go away. I wouldn't want to see things dumbed down. So, for instance, you know, if they change things like DR and CR, just be, you know, you just get one rating. To me, that would devalue the game. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, just as an example. Or like have shields and cloak and everything just combined into a defense. You know, I, defense I think that, that again, yeah. Would, yeah. would devalue it. Whereas I think providing, you know, a more streamlined and uh, greater clarity in things like movement. And I think with movement, it's the, it's probably the outlier situations, right? Because yeah. everybody knows if I want to go four inches forward and then turn a bit, that's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's where you get into, okay, I've got some fairly complex terrain here, mm-hmm. which I don't want to end up clipping an asteroid. And, uh, and there's maybe a gravity well nearby. And I've got to sort of tweak this through and I've got a squadron of four and some mines here. You know, what's going to happen in that situation? Do I get halfway through and then change my mind? And then I've got to carefully, you know, go back uh, and measure backwards because, you know, I didn't mark where my shit was to start with. Right. All those kind of things, you know, if they could be made uh, more uniform, I get, I guess, a better processing for that. So it was just more, okay, I've got to do this. These are my options. Do, do, do. Okay, I'm there. So yeah. it's more than about the the decisions and the tactics that you want to employ rather than the physical, how good am I at moving my model through some plastic terrain, which I don't think is a skill we really think we want to be monitoring. Is it? It's it's not where I want to show my prowess to my, um, my peers. I was just like, look how well I can maneuver a plastic spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to Chicago. Check out my maneuvering my plastic spaceships. That is going to be the new calendar of the month. Is men modeling yeah. plastic spaceships moving around the table? <laughs> I think most people want to show, you know, it's just like, hey, I'm a better general than Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a tactical genius. I say, <laughs> Bow before my might. <laughs> I, I would say I have to agree. I don't want to see the game watered down to that point. I think it's keeping it to like a two, two and a half hour, you know, once you get a good firm grasp on the rules. You know, it should because we, although it's nice to have those kind of, you know, beer and pretzels games and stuff, you know, at heart, you still, everybody always still plays that one complex game. Like, I know guys that play, uh, you know, X-Wing and Armada, but then they also go and play, like, War Machine, you know, or, and it's usually, it just, like, I play a lot of complex ones. Like, I don't, I think the fastest playing one I play is, is Infinity, 
and that's actually that can take a while, you know, <laughs> on the higher point levels. So it's you want to find a fine balance, but it's I think the big misconception with the fast play is people assume, oh, we can play a game in a couple hours. I'm like, well, yeah, once you have a fast, you know, a grip of the rules. Every game yeah. when you're first starting out, you're going to take for even X-Wing, you know, you're going to take forever to get the the nuance and everything down, you know, beforehand. And that so goes without saying for any game. Yeah. One other element that should be able to help for the speed of the game, if there's a, if it ends up happening, that we end up having some ships not degrade as fast as we had in the past and, and combat effective reaching that threshold of combat ineffective. So yeah. If, if ships are involved in combats a little bit longer, not saying that we're, uh, you know, zero degradation and we're always shooting all this stuff and multipliers of craziness, but if they at least last a little bit longer where all of a sudden you get, go, well, I got crippled, it's time to shunt out, um, I, I'm pretty much done with that ship. If they could stay in the combat just long enough to be able to keep fighting, you might have stuff die a little bit quicker. Well, you know, it's funny. I see a lot of, like... When two players have co- ships that are completely combat ineffective, especially on the big tier ones, like I don't think enough people really use the whole shunt out mechanic because it's it, maybe it's just uh, like you know they just don't want to lose. You know they don't want to admit defeat. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> it a drags big part things of it. out. It drags things out, <laughs> and they don't want to. So this go is a recurring theme, I think. Yeah. Then so there's that whole going down fight. It's even written in the book. We don't want to lose our tactical assets. Even a frigate is worth a lot to our forces and the people and the lives, the children. And but it, Yeah, nobody plays like that, though, do they? No. It's like a frigate. Yeah, I lost a frigate. Oh, well. Yeah, everybody plays like... A <laughs> couple of hundred people die. I'm this tyrant that just sends all my guys to the grave every single time. Yeah, so What's I mean, that? that's... Yeah. Admiral Zap Brannigan. I'm not afraid to send <laughs> wave after wave of my men at the enemy. <laughs> uh, so, so, SRS yeah. for me, and I think I, I... Josh and I actually talked about this, I think, post-show or pre-show one time, but we never actually got it recorded. I had a whole idea on carriers. I, to me, carriers have not really changed in, in since the beginning, effectively, as far as... Well, the, the SRS have, but I would love to see how carriers possibly could function if their SRS were included in the cost. So not saying it's free, but the cost is tacked on. So let's say a carrier costs 120 points, and you're grabbing you know 30 to 60 points of extra fighters on top. Now, if it's all the full complement of everything involved, I'm said fighters, SRS in general, how would it function? What would it be like if these things were done? Or if the, you know, the wing cap was now the SRS stuff, you know, it would also include the cost of the SRS. Yeah. Also, the cost I, I know of the, that uh, it's one of the things I know when explaining to, you know, because I've done some demo games for people, explain it to new players or, or people who are interested in the game. I, I do agree. One of the areas that Spartan could look at is, you know, how do how does somebody just coming and seeing, wow, this is some cool spaceships. How do I play this? If you don't say, well, you buy these, you know, buy these ships with points, and then if you've got a carrier, it's like, oh right, so how many can I have that? Well, you've got to buy those. It's like, really? <laughs> it's like, you mean you can buy an empty carrier? What use is that? And you know, when you look at it like that, it is kind of a Right. Yeah, actually. <laughs> so why would you take an empty carrier to a fight? <laughs> right. I mean, when does that happen in the real world? In the older days, it was a viable option. In 1.0, when you're like, I need a large capital, I'm taking a carrier because it's cheap. I'm going to take everything else. 
it was a thing that people did. Uh, something else that could be neat because there's a lot of complaints about, and I'm going to call them the auxiliary SRS, where it's the non-fighters, everyone else. What if fighters were part of every carrier always came with a set of X fighter tokens and on top of everything? So it was that backup. It was always the consistent sort of thing that was would be interesting. And then you now you have players involved with <laughs> fighter tokens. I don't know. There's always... I've always been a carrier guy in everything I always do. So that's if you have to go ahead and pick on me from any bit of, you know, point of contention, I am definitely the carrier fanboy on that. But but I, I think the, you know, that just on that point of making it accessible for people coming into the game to understand, you know, those are to me the kind of areas that and I think you, you mentioned it, Josh, you can get a couple of hour game in once you're familiar with the rules. So how do you get people up to that? You know, when I'm talking to somebody, I'll never be like, well, you get this, and then, okay, let's, let's play a turn, and it's like, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to fight my torpedoes, I'm going to board, I'm going to do this. It's just overwhelming, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And if I think it's one of the things that Spartan have done well in the, the two-player box sets. They've got the little booklet that actually starts off with essentially a squad of frigates each, and they yeah. use primary yep. weapons, and that's it. Um, and then it builds up from that, getting you familiar with each of the, you know, stepping you along the way. The same way that, you know, anybody learns at school. You don't go, it's like, right, we're going to learn French. So I'm now going to speak right. French at you for two hours <laughs> <laughs> and you'll pick it up. You know, it's just like you learn some of the vocabulary. You learn, say, how, how are you? Hello. My name is, it's raining. You know, at least we do it in the UK because <laughs> the weather's important to us. Um, you know, it, it's these baby steps. And I think, those are the kinds of things that make the game accessible. And I think accessibility yeah. is probably one of the, the main things I would say is a, is a yeah. good starting point for improvement. So not really the, the game itself. You know, it's really how do you get into the game? And I think a lot of the things we've mentioned are kind of falling into that category. Yeah. And it's, I know when I, uh, you know, I had, I had the luxury of being trained on how to do demos uh, back in GW's heyday. So pre Vanout? pre van art correct <laughs> and it's like i always say that it's like my time at gw uh, that's the only real good takeaway i had is they you know they showed me how to run a good demo and that's that stepped approach you know whenever i uh am prepping people for like working at a convention or something we always do a little bit of a you know a run through i go this is how i run a demo you know you run a stepped approach baby steps because you want to get them excited you want to suck them in you want to draw them in you know to the game and get them excited about it and then you just incrementally if they want to know more you incrementally add a little bit here and there until they have a firm grasp like the fundamental portions of it and then you can you know go wild after that it's funny actually because the shows that i've been at um where you know somebody will come up they're often with their child and, you know, like a kid of, say, 10 to 14, yeah, who has seen yeah. the spaceships, <laughs> and it's, a, it's usually a boy, right? Okay. <laughs> our, our, our hobby is predominantly a Y chromosome thing. And, you know, a little boy says, hey, spaceships are cool. And it goes over, and you sort of explain it to them, you know, give them a load of dice, you know. They get a handful of dice in their hands, you know, roll it, and the ship blows up, and it's like, oh, wow, this is good. And you can see their dad's there. Also interested, but kind of using their son as a vehicle to actually not come out and say, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm interested in plastic spaceships too." Um, but you know, they ask some odd questions, and then it's a slightly different conversation. It's just like, "Yeah, these are the basics of it." Yeah, and there is also 
you know, the nuance of different weapon types and torpedoes, you know, all these are things you can add in, you know, so they don't just think it's like, well, is that the game? You know, you move these, you roll that dice, that's it. Yep, yep, yep. That's the exciting about thing about possibly Task Force really kind of bringing to the game. It, hopefully it will be that, that bridging gap between the two of starting off and just basic demos to the real game. Which would be ideal. I mean, that'd be, it'd be great to have something that you could demo. I mean, granted, demo, like running demos, we're doing a... Uh, we're doing a learn to play Firestorm Armada class actually at Adepticon, and it's a little more in depth than what we'd normally run. Like I don't have the the bodies basically since Spartan isn't there, uh, you know Spartan actual isn't at the convention. I just don't have the the manpower to run a booth doing demos on stuff constantly. So we're doing the learn to play class, which is going to be a more in depth. Granted, I'd like to have a you know, a booth with to run demos, you know, quick and dirty demos, as I call them, or just intro demos, um, to get them into, like, say, the learn to play class, which is a more in-depth, you know, learning, which I imagine I probably have people in this class that's going to be, you know, I've never played Firestorm before. Um, and it's going to be, you know, basically the first hour just showing them the basics. You know, it's, you know, until they, once they can tell me exactly how, how it's going to run, then we move on to the next step. Alex, what is awesome here is Josh is able to do your commercial breaks with an Adepticon promo every about 15 minutes in your show. (laughs) He has this down. I mean, like, Josh, you were good at this because I was like, man, I wish I was this good to be able to advertise stuff throughout my, you know, individual sessions. This is wonderful. This this is why of the the triumvirate that is the the team here, I am the face man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so. so i have two more things that because i think i even sent alex a something at, at stupid early in the morning well at least for me i was like yeah i brought my wife to the airport at three o'clock in the morning and then i sat down and played around with firestorm ideas what would be really cool and so yeah i i'm have list of fun goofy stuff involved but mars spreading around because we got a number of mars in the game that you might see once or twice some of them are showing up in different areas. So uh, not like the exclusive Mar. Well, that Mar exists in one location over here. Some of the ideas of things existing, not just because it's there, but to be part of the game as a whole. And maybe themes, you know, like certain mechanics, does it, does it fit the theme? I, I think I was just lightly brainstorming with, with Josh on the what-if factor, because, you know, we are after hearing the possibility of 3.0 coming in, uh, what if cloaking acted more like, you know, Star Trek and Klingon Birds of Prey, where it was the, the hit and run and the sort of kind of got the real feel of the hunter versus the the passive cloaking thing, then yeah, I guess I'll decloak and just stay here beat up on stuff. But there, there's not a huge incentive to recloak and, and to keep going and fighting again. So hopefully having some themes kind of tie into it and, and maybe get the feel, but that's could just be the cinematic feel that I, I want on the table at this point. <laughs> I want oh. my cake to eat it too, okay? <laughs> I think the, the cinematic feel of it, I mean, that, that's certainly one of the things that attracted me to Firestorm was that, 
you know, you do get that, uh, you know, the little, little stories that play out in your head, your little video screen that shows the, you know, which does sort of play out these, these little things that you're doing on the tabletop. So for me, the, the cinematic thing is definitely a, you know, a, a big part of it. I did have a thought there and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> That's one of those fleeting things that's disappeared. See, it's so much easier when your son's on here and you have the synergy and now you have the two, you know, <laughs> Yankees on here causing all these problems. Oh, I tell you what it was. A couple of things that I would like to, to see change. One is the, the boarding and targeted strike tables being the same. Mm. I, I never understood that when I first saw the two um, version two rule book is here's the targeted strike table. It's like, okay, here we go. Here's the boarding table. It's like, isn't this the same table? <laughs> and the same table for cyber warfare. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, which I think it just, I think they did just say that, oh, we just use the boarding table. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but, you know, why not just have just one table? I would like to see, you know, a bit of difference in that, you know, the, and I would also like to see targeted strikes actually work. Because I think people don't use them. Um, I, I hardly ever see targeted strikes. I want them to uh, be good. I want them to be usable. Trust me. Because if I could target the engines on Shoal Commander Larry's ships every game, <laughs> I would slow him right the hell down. <laughs> you know, it would be interesting if it was something like Decimator, where you know Decimator's on the crit. If it was something that the target strike was able to affect on a higher value, it's something where you weren't like, well, now I have to hit on fives. Oh no, wait, they're a difficult target. Now it's even harder. And and so it gets that's that's always a tough buy-in. Do I really want the penalty to hit when the, the dice were pretty well balanced on doing the right amount of damage? Yeah, and I think that's the problem with targeted strikes. And we we're kind of going off in a segue here, but I think it's worth doing because. The problem with targeted strikes is that it's a big penalty, right? Going from yeah. going from four, five, six exploding to five and six is a big drop off, and yeah. people are just like, "Well, but I just roll all the dice, and I'll probably get a crit uh, anyway, you know." So I get I get an effect, and if not, I get two whole points of damage, or I could probably get a damage and, and an effect. It's like, well, I'm basically just trading a point of damage then for nothing. So I'll just roll all my dice. <laughs> yeah, and, and the target strike roll was was pretty light. Oh, I got a hazard marker, <laughs> you know, most of the time. And so it was. And that's also the problem that a lot of people have with cyber, is that it's unreliable, right? Right. It's, a lot of the time, you know, you could build a fleet around cyber. In fact, I think Lang has mentioned this on JD Gamercast as well. And you could come off and basically start a whole bunch of fires in the kitchens of all of the enemy's <laughs> ships yeah. and nothing else. <laughs> Whereas if you had equivalent attack dice, if you just put guns on your ships, you'd be blowing holes in them, you know, yeah. and a lot of people see that. Now there is, I think cyber is one of those, again, I'm going to use that non North American friendly phrase oh. of it's a Marmite faction um, <laughs> in the, you either love it or hate it. So Looking some people up. see the utility Okay, so just for, for Matt's benefit, Marmite is a yeast extract that's used as like a paste. Uh, it's Vegemite in, in Oz, uh, and it seems to be completely absent from North America. Um, <laughs> okay, thank you. <clears throat> and people tend to love it or hate it. You know, there, there aren't people that just say, yeah, I can take it or leave it. You know, it oh, no. is quite divisive. We have an American equivalent, I think. <laughs> oh, do you? That divides people very well. It's not quite like that, but grits. People either love grits or hate grits. 
Grits. I thought you were going with spam. I was like, where are we going to grits? No, that's a Hawaiian no, we have thing. Spam. Spam's a Hawaiian thing. No, but no, it's grits. Either it's, it's a southern thing and you either love it or you hate it. Well, yeah, my, okay. my wife's family's from Boston. My family and then my side of the family's all from the south. So it's very interesting on family get togethers right now. So on, on the regional cooking. But anyways, going back to this stuff. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, before you go back, if you guys can get me some grits, I'll send you some Marmite. There we God, go. This is awesome. <laughs> How is customs like, you know, biological cultures going overseas? So I, I sent you a biohazard. Uh, oh, no, no. It, it's not biologically active. It's a yeast extract. It's high in B vitamins and it's very yeah, good it's, for you. Unfortunately, grits are, have a water base involved into it. So, um, Oh, right. <laughs> That, well, you just boy, that's the thing. They're dry, so you can ship it in a dry package. It's a dry, it's oh, a non-perishable. So, yeah, it's all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Some transatlantic commerce coming out of this. That's good. <laughs> well, for me, like Cyber Warfare, I really ignored almost every chart except for life support. I was like, yeah, no, life support. I'm killing crew. Mm. I, I'm going through that, trying to counterbalance, you know, weapon shielding of... of fighting in a slow dying battle against you know terrans and and i would just kill crew that was my whole thing i ignored almost everything else in slaughtered crew with life support and i think a lot of people do that and then build for assault but that makes cyber a very monocular sort of weapon it's right. you know and i think it's more interesting or it could be more interesting than that in the same way that you know targeted strikes could add a a real element to the game that's not being exploited at the yeah. moment so I don't think it's a fact of, you know, it's not really changing version two. It's kind of activating some of these almost dormant things that are there um, to create, I think, you know, more choice and, you know, that greater tactical flexibility and, and set of options for people. That's kind of some of the things I'd like to see. Not yeah. that, you know, it isn't a good game or, you know, isn't solid as it is. It's just, I think, refinement. with a few bits of refinement, yeah, it, it could, you know, really go up that extra level yeah maybe ambush <laughs> oh don't even get me started on ambush <laughs> well that's one of the examples of something that's a little confusing a little a little off when you're trying to figure out exactly how would i do this as a new gamer and get this to actually work right and just even logistically getting it on the table to present it in a correct manner that's not giving away the enemy but being fair to them and finding a simple way of doing it it's just extra steps of them trying to develop the game system to get it to work yeah. for them at the location. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned like ambush because uh, since it's like a token state, mm -hmm. playing Infinity, they have a lot of token states, and the way they interact and the way they work, actually, like playing that made me more frustrated with ambush. <laughs> really? really? Oh yeah, it's. I mean, even just something as simple as I know I've always said, like, if once you re you reveal the token yourself, if the ship's not at a full stop, I would be much like at least 60 percent happier with it because then the ship's fully functional. It was just silent running, ready to, you know, ready to pounce on a target. You know, if the if your enemy discovered it, you know, then it starts it stops at a full stop because it was trying to avoid detection, and you know, failed. and failed. Um, yeah, we'll see what they come up with. That that will be an yeah. interesting thing to see if yeah. that's because there's also the other issues when you see versions of games done, um, namely like you know, GW's like six thousand versions of whatever they want to come out with every other year at this point. Um, <laughs> when when you wonder, it's like some rule that was having some sort of major issue, but because it wasn't in their backyard or never heard of it, 
I, things aren't touched in it. And you wonder, it's like, well, that was a big issue, but why was this not even addressed or cleaned up the obvious wording problem? So it'll be interesting to see if anything's overlooked versus, you know, if there's something out there that comes, oh, I'm sure there's going to be something someone's going to complain about because I think that's the nature of war gamers. Yeah. But, uh, can't make everybody happy. <laughs> this is true. Well, I think Spartan have got a pretty good track record, though, in, um, in a when they release a set of rules, they don't release it and then say, oh, and, you know, next week we'll get the Aquins. A couple of weeks <laughs> after that, or a couple of years after that, you know, you'll get the updates for the Dindrenzi. And, you know, they do, I mean, and it's a smaller game, I guess, in the yeah. 40k in a lot of ways. Uh, but actually now, with the way the factions have gone, there's something like 21 or 22 factions now. And the core factions have have got a lot of ships. Yeah, you know, there's there's been quite a, a not a bloat, but there's been quite a growth in the in diversity of ships now. So that's a lot of ships to actually get through, and you know, for any changes. And we've just talked about small refinements and stuff, but actually, all of those small refinements would come at a quite a. I think we, as wargamers, quite often think well. All they need to do is change this without realizing actually the repercussions and then the interactions of those repercussions with all the other bits in the rules means that one change actually you know results in a dozen changes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a dozen changes will result in a couple of hundred changes. Yeah. Um, and then restatting of all the ships or balancing and all that kind of stuff. You don't always um, immediately catch the interactions. Like, you know, yeah. if you're playing, like, I know I've, you know, I've done play testing and stuff and it's, yeah, you're like, oh, well, that never came up. <laughs> That's interesting. We didn't see that interaction. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've mentioned it before on, on the podcast, you know, the Tarakians and gravity weapons. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, and it's always interesting, I think, when any games manufacturer releases a set of rules and, you know, you just put it out to the great unknown. And then you have thousands of people across the world with all of their different little views on it, looking at it, analyzing it, and they think, huh, so I could take this, this, and this then. And then if they took that rule, that interacts with this, which means they do that. And then they take that to a tournament, and everybody's like, you can't do that. And it's like, yes, they can, because this, this, and this. And it's like, oh, wow. It's like, rules as written, man. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, Somebody raises it on a forum, and then a couple of weeks later, the games company are just like, yeah, no, that's illegal. <laughs> or if you're like other game companies. We didn't think of that. We really should have. You gone. may never hear a response. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Either they take the uh, the fact back to it, or uh, or they just did, nope, nope, it's not not a problem. It's well, that, good. that was one of the things, when I was playing 40K, you know, when I first got into it, and, you know, New Edition came out, I'm like, oh, right, okay. And then it's like, so when a new codex is, it's just like, no, there isn't a, a version X codex for this. It's been a couple of years, and it's like, well, okay, maybe not a couple of years. It never gets to that length, but <laughs> yeah, it's like we're still waiting for those. And some codexes, you would actually have, it's been a couple of years, because actually they haven't had anything like the Necrons. Oh, yeah, they had a codex in the third edition. And it's just like, what, and they're still waiting? It's like, yep. yep. <laughs> and it's like, they've got rules in there which just don't exist anymore. <laughs> and you think, how can this work? How can this game actually function this way? <laughs> the Codex is mostly fact now, twisted and evil. Well, that was like the end of my Black Templars. 
most of it was a fact. And I was like, uh, uh, so I guess I just print out the fact and glue it in the book because it overrides the four pages of rules in there. Well, it's like, what is it? They, fifth edition, we were playing in fifth edition and what is it? The Dark Eldar hadn't had a codex since third edition. Oh, yeah. And they were just kind of in, in fourth. But fifth edition rolls around all of a sudden you know people are like tearing it up with these old as old ass codex because of the way stuff worked that it was right it was just a dumb luck that that these four models worked amazing for what you got out of it like yeah it was what is the uh there was a great lamenting when a new dark eldar codex came out you know everybody loved the new models but then like wait a minute what do you mean disintegrators aren't like (laughs) multi-template plasma cannons anymore damn it I can't just sit back and use 28 lances in my army and, and just shoot you from the other side and snipe you or all your guys dead. <laughs> so. And so, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. something interesting about um, talking about Games Workshop as well as Spartan Games, uh, they've done stuff in both games to prioritize the lower, the mainline units that are lo- generally the lower effectiveness units. In like objective secure and take and hold, mm-hmm. it might be interesting to see if if there's a way to apply something in a similar vein to where certain ships like frigates and baseline cruisers have some sort of thing that that's a bonus modifier to mission objectives or something that that incentivizes people to take the standard stuff instead of always taking the optimal gamer, you know, because there's like three types of things gamers I see. There's the gamer who has yeah. i'm playing with what i own which is a lot of us starting out when we first get into hobbies yep. then you have the the next phase of what is cool yep. and then you get through the slightly jaded or competitive style and then you go i really need to play with what is efficient and and then you you break away from the the what is considered by the game the mainline uh, uh like the basic cruiser we don't see a lot of basic cruisers unless it's certain forces uh, someone might be ignoring the basic cruisers in their force because X is more efficient. And yeah. so it would be interesting to see if there was a way to incentivize players instead of trying to make it always the most point efficient because if everything was exactly the same, why are we even playing a game? Yeah, I mean, you can say Terrans, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, the especially when the fluff specifically says, you know, cruisers are the most numerous ships in the game. And you look at a Terran fleet, and there isn't a single basic cruiser there. Right. And again, but some people love them. But then you look at a Dendrenzi fleet, and it's packed with uh, with Secutors. Cruisers, yeah, yeah, because they're really, really good. So yeah, I, I see what you're saying there, and I think it would be, and I think it always has to be in a way that's not like uh, your fleet must contain at least two cruiser squadrons. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's why I was thinking maybe like when I mentioned the take and hold and objectives here, what if there was some sort of rule with them where everyone can score objectives, but if there was whatever it is for these, that these ships score a bonus point or something where it, they make more sense with sentiment. Yeah, or gun, gunships can't take objectives. Yeah, or something, yeah, or, or cruiser yeah. scores instead of one objective point, two objective points on, on this objective, or double or yeah. whatever, you know, the missions are at. Well, it's, I've done like, like, yeah, like Matt is saying, like, just speaking on kind of a sneak peek a little bit of the Planetfall missions that I'll probably have up by the time this gets posted. But, uh, like, I have a, like, a, a quote unquote, a line breaker objective in a couple of the missions that, you know, the player who has the most units 
in the most non-flyer units in their opponent's uh, deployment zone scores this particular objective. And that's to, like, get it so they actually move all their units up, you know, engage each other, and try to get to the other side of the table, basically. And, you know, flying units can do that easily, so you make it, like, a non-flying unit. You know, like, gunships can't hold this objective, because why would a gunship hold a satellite? (laughs) You should be out shooting things. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so what uh, we've kind of mentioned a few things that we think could be improved or we'd like to see expanded or simplified. What do we think shouldn't change? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's. I wouldn't expect exploding tights to go away. That's kind of a Spartan kind of hallmark, I should say. Like it's their their signature game mechanism. Um, I would, I would like to see weapons kind of stay the same. Um. You know, no major changes and whatnot. Um, so w- my beam weapons aren't supposed to be like B five cutting through my ships with extra re rolls and a bunch of dice on top, and and all of a sudden my directorate ship just cut through this other Dindrinzi ship. Shouldn't happen. No, no. I, I think that's when uh, Spartan. Really <laughs> that's that's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> new gravity weapons that were just. We'll just go ahead and throw a new type of weapon in there, and just they just eat the other ships. It'll just it'll be interesting. <laughs> what is I told? I'm like I was telling Larry the other day. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna really push, 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 push to get it to finally get an overseer ship. I'll only be able to take one in my fleet, but it'll be able to kill all three of your tier ones in the game. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I, I, funny is that the overseer ship is like some sort of tiny ship that's just super powerful and, yeah. and just messes with everyone mentally on the fact that it's super hard to kill. Yeah. Well, it's like that anathema probe. I don't. Have you guys got the ship? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I had. I never built it because I was like, okay, I, I just I'm that sort of gamer. I'm like, oh, I'm not fielding it right now. I need to go paint these other things. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, because it's it's a little ship, but yeah. I mean, the stats in the Return of the Overseers book are immense. <laughs> You know, for this this little tiny thing. The shield value is ridiculous. Really, really nasty little thing. Thank God it's yeah. not got a proper weapon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I would I would like to see I don't want to see any major changes to like weapons fire. Um you know, I like the direct indirect, it's kind of a good one two punch. And I think like I think a lot of people wanna see some changes to weaponry. But I think it's uh, not so much that the weaponry, like the way weapons and weapons fire is done, so much as some of the other interactions. Like we spoke beforehand about, uh, you know, people don't necessarily see all the interactions when they say they want something. Um, But like the whole, uh, like changes to SRS would help make torpedoes more effective. Yeah. You can say Terrans again. That's fine. Is there anything that you would like to change which doesn't go back indirectly or directly to Terrence? <laughs> uh, I think if things to change, I would hope to see in 3.0 some um, flushing out of the expanded forces that are not the core six. So you could get a couple of the extra elements slowly peppering throughout the forces. So you, you have... The how do I put this? It's like the the non bad buy where because there some of them are really small, some of them are pretty large, like Rins. But where you have the options, if I want to play this versus 
the you know the heavy allied mix and actually talking about the heavy allied mix one thing that drove me away from games workshop is the rampant abuse of allies so i'm hoping the allies still stays restricted to a certain point because allies promotes extreme power gaming on you know when it's in a loose system i'd agree because it's one of the things that i've always I've always seen as the alliances. The alliances have always been, you know, these smaller factions that kind of band together and can be pulled in by the core races, you know, to to form fleets and stuff. Uh, and I see a lot of cores, not a lot, but maybe from a lot of alliance players, it's just like, oh, well, why can't I take a, an Aquan ship? You know, why can't I pull some Dindrenzi cruisers or something? It's like, well, you know, fluff-wise, why would you be able to? You know, some backwater yeah. planet with some, you know... Some Terran guys who uh, have sworn allegiance to some fish people. Why would they be able to pull out a, a battleship from the main Terran defense forces? Uh, you right. know, um, yeah, they're they're on friendly terms, but <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's fine. But I'm not going to lend you ten grand. You know, I, I, would, <laughs> I have a drink with you down the pub every not you know every Friday or whatever. But I don't know you that well. <laughs> and Puerto Rico's, you know, an, an ally and not too far from me, but we're not going to give you one of our aircraft carriers for the weekend because you wanted to, you know, tool around and then it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I, you know, I can see people wanting some stuff that perhaps doesn't fit with the game. And of course, Terrans want everything as well. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just say that in case people didn't get it the first couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. But no. I, sorry, Karen. I, I would say I think the one thing that I want a copious amount of is fluff. Yeah, like yes. I think a lot of people are thirsty for uh, like background and whatnot. I mean, it's already got a really nicely kind of developed background, but it's there's not a lot, you know. And I think people want really want to start fleshing out um, of that. Like I know we do. Locally, we you know we do our own narratives and stuff. Like every one of the guys at the shop has their like their alter ego, their persona as their admiral, and we we have good stories that we make up from the you know from the battles and stuff that we have. You know, kind of the ongoing narrative in our little corner of the universe. But it's I think that's one of the things that a lot of people you know want is just pure unadulterated storyline and fluff. <laughs> Here's a question for you on that one, then. Is the rule book the place for that? I don't think it necessarily is, no. You can give a little bit of a touch on background, but I think doing, uh, you know, supplementary, like, you know, the fleet guides, you know, would be appropriate, um, as, you know, it has fluff, blips of fluff in there. But I think probably the best thing to do would be, like, a campaign book, you know, like campaign book or, like, a... What is it like? Uh, back in the day, BattleTech used to advance their storyline with new, new tech readouts. You know, like every year or every you know six months or whatnot, a new like a new rule book that you know might have some new mechs, some stuff, some different star charts, and uh, mostly story would come out, and that's how you advance it with like campaign and uh, kind of like story advancement books. Or, or even dare we say in the game, in the game's workshop universe, back when somebody gave a shit, is uh, the Eye of Terror. Yeah. yeah, yeah, campaigns, and that's like yeah, like uh, living campaigns. Those are those are excellent sources too. You know, as long as they're accessible. And I think that goes back to the whole like accessibility. 
you know. I think there should also be ability, hopefully, I don't know where Spartan's at, because I, I actually was watching um interview for uh, White Wolf Studios, and they wanted to relaunch uh, their whole lines, and it was over the holiday, and they were talking about contracting out to writers and authors to write um, fiction for them, and then get kind of vetted for that system to go in there. It would be neat to have throughout the year, if we can slowly get people, even if it's part of the community initially, and get approved on what kind of they're doing, is if something can be going where we start getting fiction, because I am I love books. I love audiobooks. I love written books. I go through stuff. I, I have a crazy Audible account where I, I burn through so much between work and my job and, and even painting time. Or, you know, then half my house is a library because my wife is a English teacher. And so it's, for me, if we can ever get to the point where now all of a sudden there's books based in the Firestorm universe, I know we're doing good. Even if they're kind of, you know, subpar initially, I, I'll, I'll still take it and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's a good point, actually. I think anything that, that goes into that, I think there's a danger, however, which I'll, I'll come to. But I think anything that gives that kind of increased immersion, you know, the feeling that what you do actually is playing part in a, in a wider tale, you know, that you've got, I think characters, you know, settings, planets and stuff. I think a spaceship game can be quite abstract sometimes. You know, you've got these ships which are kind of nameless, which are hanging around in the middle of nowhere, literally. Um, you know, that is quite a disjointed, quite an abstract gaming concept. Whereas, you know, even if you've got some minis on a on a piece of grass terrain with some buildings and stuff, you can almost form a you know a self narrative just on what sort of buildings are there. You know, and you know, what are these guys doing here? And you've got little men that you can actually associate with. You know, a big hunk of metal, it's more difficult to kind of get that personal connection with the, you know, the thousands of people that are meant to be on it. Right. So yeah. I, I yeah. would agree that anything that can kind of bring you back to the human level rather than that, because we all like the big, you know, the kilometer-long starship with the, you know, grueling commander and stuff, but we don't really have too many of those human characters to make, you know, to give us the character then of the the inanimate object, effectively. Mm-hmm. I think the danger, though, is, of course, especially if you've got then a fan sort of evolved universe as well, is mm-hmm. the, where well, I'll refer back to the GW Necron thing, when when the games company actually comes out and announces, you know, releases this new fluff, and everybody looks at it and think, "Oh, that is what I imagined it was." <laughs> right, and you have a disconnect, you know, between all these players who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it could even be done on a retro system where here's the big campaign came out of we siege X planet here. This happens with these other people here, and then the following year they've got a writer to come in and to flush out some stories that happened during those events. Yeah, that'd be cool. But I think the you know the the potential dangers of it, kind of one of the points I was going to make, the highlighting of it is Planetfall with the Ralthosa drones. That mm. would be my example of something oh, yeah. that an expectation that was set up in people's minds, which kind of jarred with some people to start with, and then it was almost flipped back, and then it jarred with those other people. So you managed, I think somehow they managed to upset both camps. <laughs> in a fairly short space of time, <laughs> you know, the people that thought, you know, all the little ones were just, you know, robotic 
uh, against the ones that thought there was, you know, some organic element. And then suddenly it's flipped back to, no, actually he's had little baby spiders in, you know, and all the guys who like the drones were just like, that sucks. <laughs> Wait, so what are they now? I, 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 I miss this controversy. They're different, different, uh, basically the way it's, it's, it's evolved is it, everybody thought they were, uh, basically anything smaller than a, than a Salamis, the actual mm-hmm. full grown male warriors in their power armor. Yeah. Anything smaller than that was like a robotic drone. But we've seen instances where each size category of, uh, is actually a battle armor for different stages of a pupate warrior. Whereas, Ooh. you know, where you have little baby ones in the drone, like the, the Jabri, and then you've got some slightly older, uh, you know, that have survived the Jabri stage of combat. And they go into the, uh, the Namiske, uh, or Namisk. I don't know how you say that. Uh, you know, the light drones, and then you have the, you know, eventually they make it up to the full-grown Salamis, which is a full-grown male Rothosa warrior in battle armor. You know, so it's... Um, then they evolve into dragonflies. Well, and then you get the other, yeah, the other armor. Sorry, Let's not go there. For the... <laughs> We're running an hour and a half, <laughs> no, so but, we don't want to... That illustrates your point. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah only illustrating yeah, yeah. the point, exactly. But no, I think that's inevitably you will get fluff that some people like and some people don't or like less. I don't think it gets to the point too often uh, where it becomes terminal, you know, unless it's very, very silly or yeah. it's combined with other elements. You know, um, Again, I'll, I'll give the game's workshop factor in. You know, It wasn't the fact for me that they just changed Necrons because we still played the game after that. We still bought new Necron models, but it was the weight of then they changed their entire um, paint range then they basically said we're not going to do the old paints we're going to do the new paints also we're going to put all our prices up by 30 percent and you'll like it and we've got a new edition coming out and it's just like i tell you what i'm out <laughs> you know the the sum total of these things is too much to bear so i don't think you know a a background that doesn't necessarily bode with your own personal thing is terminal, but I think it's you know a potential. There is potential danger there, but um, I think if it's sensitively handled, nobody nobody minds too much. Alex, yeah, you hit on something really important there. You you mentioned about the the amount of change that happened at the point of you breaking. So this is something that I'm sure people are worried about now with the 2.5 3.0 Firestorm is the amount of change because you've seen statistics and there's reports on the amount of change that people will accept before they're generally discomforted or upset by such things changing around them. So I'm hoping not for sweeping game changing. This is no longer the game we think it is uh, because I think 2.0 was in a fairly good place. There was definitely improvement areas. There's definitely some concerns, but that's games. But I think it was in a very good space compared to all its other iterations it's had in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's probably at a uh, 2.0 is what really uh, grew the whole community and the player base too. So I think there's a lot of uh, people that are more nervous because we've already had, you know, they've seen what edition changes for 40k have done to communities and like other games and whatnot. And with the community kind of, you know, in a, in a real big growth state, um, 
and getting really, you know, way more popular, more people are playing, more people getting into it, going with an addition change, people are more nervous, yeah. you know, about, yeah. about losing, losing that momentum basically. And it's, and it's something to definitely be mindful of, you know, um, we've seen like GW consistently their quarterly reports coming out and them actually losing money. Like they're, they're on a downslope, which they're not used to and not adjusting. Well, not used to, they've been doing that for about <laughs> seven, eight, nine years now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you're never, you are never, you know, going to the whole Enron thing. You're never too big to fail. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So it's even when you have icons, uh, like GW in the gaming industry, especially the board gaming industry, um, you know, people are, you don't necessarily, you want to move forward and you want to put forward a good product and a, you know, a game that everybody likes, but, you know, you have to be mindful, you know, do we need an addition change? Why are we changing the addition? You know, are we just tweaking it? Or are we completely overhauling it? You know, you have to really kind of dig, dig a little deep to make sure that you're doing everything, you know, granted, and then it goes back to the whole thing. You can't always make everybody happy, but you want to make sure that, you know, you're not changing things just for the sake of changing it. You want to make sure it's per- there's purpose behind yeah, it. Yeah, you don't want to just make a change and, and lose a wholesale group of people just because you fancied it. Yeah, right. exactly. Which does seem to be the way that Games Workshop has worked with certain editions of its, its games in the yeah. past. Well, we keep going back to them on this, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's, if you don't learn from history, you'll end up doing to repeat it, aren't you? So, well, uh, taking a different route on some of those things, uh, I, I will say one of the things I think has been a saving grace for Spartan when they've had their ups and downs, um, it doesn't feel like from a big company standpoint, there is no ivory tower. I've never felt like with Spartan Games that they're locked away in an ivory tower and there's no way to communicate, there's no way to express concerns or worries or joy about it. They seem to have been able to, you know, interpret when there's been issues in the past, adjust accordingly. And, you know, we've had some some success in some games, some games like Uncharted Seas, I would be excited to see come back out because I do play that with my wife. But they are focusing on what is profitable. And, you know, we've seen what the 1.5 system, which really, really hurt Firestorm. Then turn around, we had 2.0, which, as we've kind of re-talked about again and again, how where we were happy with it. But I think they are definitely connected to what's going on around them. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really good point because I think in the in the forums as well, you know, there have already been um, a couple of Spartans comments, you know, saying essentially that you know that they, it, this isn't a wholesale change to the game. There are some elements that can be, you know, improved, uh, but we're not changing the spirit of it. So even in advance of changes they're either they've already made or are making, uh, they're saying, don't worry, we're not going to screw your game up for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is a, is a nice thing. You know, it's good to have that, um, you know, quell some of the initial speculation that people might come out thinking, is this going to be a, you know, 40K version four to five shift or five to six or six to seven. Right. Um, you know, or, or even a one to 1. 1.5 uh, in Firestorm, which, you know, wasn't universally heralded as a, as a good thing, shall we say, <laughs> <laughs> diplomatically. 
Okay, well, we've been talking for a fair while now, so I think it's probably time to to thank you both for your your time here tonight. And there we have uh, episode 15, talking about the future of Firestorm. I think it's probably going to be a good one. Let's keep our fingers crossed for that. Touchwood, <laughs> and uh, and see what uh, Spartan can do for us. Okay, so signing off from the Hub Systems, it's Alex. It's Matt. It's Josh. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>